You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down the threats and vulnerabilities, solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. I recently had uh, downloaded a honeypot that uh, was written in Golang, and it was immediately getting hits after I'd say oh, 15 or 20 minutes of being up. But I noticed an automated scan came in and it tried to download um, some, some malware to my system. That's Larry Cashdollar, Principal Security Intelligence Response Engineer at Akamai. The research we're discussing today is titled KMSD Bot, The Attack and Mine Malware. Normally, the hits are just, you know, SSH scanners and, and folks just looking to drop a XM rig on there and, and do some mining. But I noticed an automated, um, an automated scan came in and it tried to download um, some, some malware to my system. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I'm, you know, the, the, the honeypot didn't download the malware because it's just not working properly yet. So I, I manually downloaded it. And realized it was written in Go, and I'm like, "Oh, need a, a piece of Go malware." <laughs> even even more uh, <laughs> even more for you to continue your education yeah, in so Golang, like, I, right? <laughs> I've been working on on um, learning how to reverse engineer malware or Golang malware, and I'm like, "Oh, so this will be you know something I can sink my teeth into." So I started digging into it, and I'm like, "Okay, this is actually kind of interesting," and then. Um, I started a document, like just to sort of take notes and, and write stuff up. And then uh, where I live in Florida, we got hit with a hurricane. So that kind of delayed my research for about two weeks. And then I got sick. <laughs> so that delayed my research another week and a half. Insult to injury, right? This is just the real world, uh, the real world interfering with the technical world, right? Yeah. And I, you know, I likely, I, I'm guessing I had COVID, but I never tested positive, even though I kept testing and I was pretty sick for a couple of days with a fever. Um, but I just assumed it was COVID and um, just stayed in my room. And uh, my my family's still on the other side of the house. But um, <laughs> after I started feeling better, I'm like, you know, I'm going to go back to that to that 
botnet that I found and start poking at it some more. And one night during a bout of insomnia, uh, I ended up in my office and uh, decided I was going to poke at it. And I started digging into the malware, looking at the functions and, and disassembling functions and looking at the code. And I realized, I'm like, this thing looks like it has a pretty simple command and control structure where it, it sends a simple um, OX2 where it starts off with, an, with a null byte. It sends to the command and control server. The command and the control server sends back a hexadecimal one. And then uh, the response is hexadecimal two. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to sit and write a, a Golang program to emulate this malware to see if I can talk to the C2. And then this is 3.30 in the morning. And um, so then I managed to get this little piece of software to talk to the to the uh, this command and control server, and it's sending a heartbeat with the, you know, with the OX01, OX02 back and forth every second or so I'm getting a response. I'm like, okay, neat, I'm, I'm talking to the C2. Huh. And then I see an attack command come in. And I'm like, wait, I'm like, Attack commands are just in clear text. So I'm like, well, this is even neater. So <laughs> then I started, I wrote um, this little tool to log the attack commands. And then I actually detonated the, the the botnet in my lab on a network where the outbound traffic is heavily throttled. Um, it only can get like, I think, 32 kilobits per second out. Um, so if, if there's any attacks, it, it doesn't, it's damage is limited. Um, right. So I had it running there and was watching it for a couple of days. And then I saw that they actually had revised the malware and had another um, another version of it that had more functions in it, and it actually had a new command and control server. So I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm just going to monitor this, this malware for a while and then take notes and write it up. Um, and I'm expecting to have two more blog posts on this malware after this. So there's there's a lot more to be told about it, so it's it's up and coming research. Yeah, well, let's go through the things that you've discovered together here. I mean, starting out with it was just sort of some high level stuff. What what is the goal of these folks? What does it seem to you as though they're after? So my in 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 my research and in my mind and my observations, the the malware seems to be specific to the gaming. Well, initially it looked specific to the gaming industry. It looked like it was specifically targeting third-party GTA uh, hosting servers. So for folks who aren't gamers, I'm, I'm not a gamer. I had to ask my 13-year-old son, Max, what um, the, there's a company called 5M that uh, they host GTA servers on their, on their network where you can actually run a GTA Grand Theft Auto server and mm-hmm. have your friends connect to it and play on your own server so it looked like it was specifically written to target those servers because there were actual functions in the code that said attack 5M and the uh, the packets that were being sent had authentication tokens specific to the 5M um, protocol for their, for their system. So what it looked like to me was it was something to send a packet to initiate either authentication or a session and then just overwhelm the server and try and take it offline by, by just repeatedly saying, um, I'm going to start a session with you, and then just never respond. The malware also has the ability to mine crypto, which it has functions to actually start and stop a crypto miner. It has functions to uh, load different random wallets that are in a list, and then 
I actually haven't seen it do any crypto mining yet in my observations of it. It's mostly when used for DDoS. But I figure that the people who wrote this initially, I think, wanted something that they could use to take down certain gaming servers and then mine crypto when in the interim. But this botnet can also be used to target arbitrary uh, folks. So, it, it, you know, you can send a command to have it a- attack anything, not just 5M, um, which I'll, you know, we'll, we'll get to some of the other targets that as this thing branches out. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. So in terms of the DDoSing, you know, we hear about rivalries among different uh, folks in the gaming world. Is this, does it seem like that's what this is, like a, a nuisance kind of thing where you're going to, you know, take down the, the folks who you have a bit of a beef with and take down their server? That's what I initially thought. I initially yeah. thought that, that these were fellow gamers that developed this and they were using it to specifically target gaming sites. Now, what changed my mind was that they actually started targeting universities and they started targeting high-end automobile manufacturers of like the highest end. And then they started targeting churches in Germany and then government websites in Brazil. So <laughs> then I realized that it wasn't just a bunch of you know gaming kids that were targeting gaming sites. This might be an actual botnet that either someone is renting out for a fee, you can target a specific uh, site for X amount of time, for X amount of money, or it was being lent out to other folks who could, you know, say, hey, I want to target this site for 60 seconds with a UDP attack. So it, it's something else was going on there because of the erraticness of the targets. So we're still monitoring the, the targets. It's actually been relatively quiet right now, but I'm sure it'll spin back up. And in terms of the sophistication that you think we're dealing with here, I mean, you you mentioned that uh, this is written in Golang, which is, my sense, is becoming more and more popular. Can you speak to why that is? Why, why are folks uh, choosing that particular development language? I think Golang offers a lot of functionality, and it's it's relatively robust language that I think malware authors are leaning towards because it's it's got a lot of built-in functions that you might have to implement yourself in other programming languages. And I think because of the way the Golang binaries are built, they're statically compiled. So you get a 10, 15 megabyte compiled binary versus a, you know, 40, 50 kilobyte compiled binary that's in C. I think the the malware authors are are realizing that it's harder to reverse engineer Golang because it's more of a it's more of a ball of spaghetti, really, is, is what the, hmm. you know, the, the Golang binaries are. And the way Golang binaries organize their strings, the strings aren't just kept in the binary in certain areas. It's like one ball, and that ball is indexed 
and carved up to get the string that you want out of out of the uh, out of that section of, of the binary and then use in the program. So it's it's more tedious for reverse engineers, I think, to edit or to uh, not edit, but to reverse engineer a Golang binary. So I think that's why the authors are leaning towards it. So in terms of defending yourself against this, what are your recommendations? I recommend that if folks have systems that are internet-facing, they should either disable password authentication and only allow uh, SSH key authentication, or they should ensure that their passwords are secure. Because this this thing uh, has a list of passwords that it can download and update from itself or from the command and control server, they have a list of passwords that can be dynamically updated, and they try those passwords over SSH at you know unsuspecting systems on the network on the internet. And um, you know if you don't allow password authentication, there's no way they can get in through that method. Now, whether they make any adjustments on the, how they infect systems is yet to be seen, but that's their primary infection vectors is weak, weak SSH login credentials. And to what degree are they attempting to be stealthy here? Are they making a lot of noise or they're trying to sneak around in the shadows? At this time, it seems like they're not being very stealthy. Um, the command and control IP address is one of the, it's in the like the top list for malicious IP addresses that we've noticed this hmm. last two weeks. And it seems like they're, the malware itself doesn't try to, keep persistence. It doesn't try to add itself to cron. It doesn't try to do anything like that. And it just generally will run as whatever it's logged in as. So at this time, it seems like it's a an initial implementation of the botnet and it, it's not really trying anything too stealthy yet. I'm curious, uh, just as a little aside here, could you give us a, a little bit of your insights when it comes to spinning up honeypots themselves? I mean, what what sorts of things do you do as a researcher to make them most effective? I try to make them look as real as a legitimate system as possible. And in some cases, I've actually used legitimate systems as a honeypot, where I've actually taken like an SSH docker and modified the SSH daemon on it to log the session to disk rather than you know actually use an SSH honeypot this was actually just a Docker image that was running with a backdoored SSH daemon. So that's some of the stuff that I'll do as a researcher to try and, you know, get get the 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 bad actors to think that the system's a legit system when it's actually me monitoring their actions. And where do we stand in that arms race in terms of the bad actors being able to detect honeypots and, you know, folks like yourselves trying to make them look as real as possible? I feel like we're always neck and neck, you know, it's, it's cat and mouse, you know, they, they think of something and then, you know, we think of something and then, you know, one of us outdoes the other one. And then, we, you know, the other person catches up and it just seems to go back and forth. Um, you know, I, some of the more popular honeypots out there like Cowrie are, are easily fingerprinted. So, you know, they're effective in getting some traffic, but not all traffic. So it's, it's been, it's, it's really been a challenge to, to sort of just keep up with everything. You mentioned that this is uh, the first step of some continuing research you're going to do with this particular bot. Uh, what what does the future hold here? What sort of things are you, are you going to take a look at next? I'm going to investigate the actual attack commands and the attack traffic in one of the blog posts. 
And then we're gonna we're gonna examine a misstep that the bot authors took when they were uh, attacking a site, and I'll, I'll go into that when uh, when I actually write, write the blog post. But it's actually an interesting story. Our thanks to Larry Cashdollar from Akamai for joining us. The research is titled KMSD Bot, The Attack and Mine Malware. We'll have a link in the show notes. And now a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Liz Irvin, Rachel Gelfand, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Maria Vermatsis, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Catherine Murphy, Janine Daly, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, Simone Petrella, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week. <laughs>